I didn't turn the music down fast enough. I said, welcome, everyone. If you're watching this on O'Connor's YouTube channel, uh, one of us has a nice haircut and one of us needs a haircut. Look at you. You look very professional. Well, thank you. This is my... um, Yeah, I got my haircut with a guy named Griffin Rice. Best haircut I've had in years. At the Barber Lounge in Guelph. Maybe they could be a sponsor. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think they already are. Uh, All right. Well, good good for Griffin. He did a great job. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's so... uh, No, I just... Because when I first came on the uh, chat this morning, we were talking about someone else. I went... Or something else. And I said, oh, Connor looks good. I got to get a haircut. I'm lucky because in my little uh, building here, there's 14 units. And one of them is a wonderful woman named Nadia. And uh, she has a uh, full-on hair salon. And uh, she cuts my hair for 25 bucks. You know, in the old days, I guess we would say that would be unisex. I don't know. So I can't, you know, here's the thing. I can't remember any of the old days anymore. I'm so old. Uh, it's uh, Coach Tim and uh, Humble Howard here, Golf Spiritual Leader, O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleInFredRadio.com. If you're a Hundy P and a, and a golf nerd, uh, welcome. And uh, you people that follow O'Connor, welcome as well. Uh, we had a, another show planned this week that has fallen through. And uh, we're going to do a... Uh, well, now that the regular season's over, we're back to every couple of weeks. Although Tim and I were just talking, like we haven't done a show since uh, I think it's been three weeks now. Yeah. So uh, we were going to have Scott Fawcett on from you know you know what? That's not it. There it is <clears throat> from Decade, <clears throat> but he couldn't make it. And um, so I, I've reached out and asked about next Thursday. But I, I, listen, right now it's up in the air. So. Um, you know, well, if if we if you hear from us in a week, it's because we have Fawcett on the show. Uh, but uh, the last correspondence I had with him was like, "How about next week?" And I never heard back. So we'll see. All right. Well, hey, before we go any further, a congratulations to you and Fred on uh, ten ten amazing years of broadcasting the Humble and Fred Show. You guys have really carved out, and I would say blazed a trail. Thank you. For, for podcasting. So just congrats on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, we've been together uh, 32 years, but uh, 10 years. You can see behind me the 10-year anniversary poster uh, by our um, our Humble and Fred clothing sponsor, Doer. Not to be confused with our uh, golf clothing sponsor, JW Apparel Inc. Oh, and, of course, this way. program brought to you by uh, TaylorMade. And thank you very much, Timmy. You know, I was looking through our our podcast numbers this morning, as I shared with you before the show, and, um, you know, we're up to, uh, like, it's got it listed by what show number it is, and I think you're responsible for that, but, uh, no, you're, no, you're responsible for... um, for keeping track of it so or or are you because that was show 180 last week oh yes that's right yes that, yep show 180 which is pretty amazing well you're also responsible for uh for for me doing it i wouldn't be doing this without you um i think it was whatever universe brought us together we were just talking folks before uh, you know how did this thing come together uh lunch <laughs> no that's right <laughs> we, we had a couple of lunches and went 
holy crap, this is pretty cool stuff. It Why is. don't we record it and share it? So we've done 180 shows officially, but we had a few practice shows. You know, we got uh, we had to dig it out of the dirt. Um, so uh, anyway, today's um, I, no, I think that's where you had to think. Geez, do I really right. want to invest some time with this guy? Do I really want to go public with this guy? That's right. I got to test him out first. I looked at your swing. I went. He's aiming so far, fucking right. Uh, no, no, that's Fred. Uh, anyway. Um, just a little, you know, he's more conservative than I am. Uh, oh, 180 shows. Uh, proud to be doing Swing Thoughts on this show today. So no faucet, but I guarantee you there'll be some decade. There'll be a couple of uh, decade chats. But also I wanted to begin because I know you you just said briefly you wanted to talk a little bit about the OAU. Uh, some uh, coaching stuff. Some stuff with your university team. And then I would, if we have time, I would like to do GSL uh, season in review. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, season in review for uh, the university team. Uh, So the season starts. I started thinking about the team and everything in late August. Picked the team in September. And by October 15th, it's over. It's a sprint of a season. So, um so yeah, our men played four invitationals, the women five, and we had a we had a very good season. And so uh, our OUA championship, Ontario championship, was Friday at Cherry Downs. Pretty cool course. Have you ever played it? Yeah, years ago. Um, yeah, it, yeah, very good golf course. Yeah, uh, I kind of a hidden gem. People said it had kind of had a funky reputation. I didn't think so. I thought it was beautiful. Greens are really really good and fast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Anyways, so we had one of our players, uh, Jacqueline Giles, uh, it was her first year and really, really good player. She plays in provincial and national uh, championships. I mean, she's that kind of player. And she was generally our best player, but usually shooting kind of like 83s, stuff like that. And so she was she was struggling a little bit and I think she was feeling some pressure. She was our number one player. She's in first year, so she's getting used to team golf and all that. Well, she had what a time to break through. She shot 74 in the Ontario Championship and won the women's individual title by two strokes. Jesus. What was really cool, too, is well, she birdied the last hole uh, to give herself a little bit of a cushion. But she's the first uh, University of Guelph Griffin golfer in history to win the Ontario Women's Individual Championship. So look at you, Coach Lasso, inspiring these children. (laughs) You know what? Just quickly uh, this week, I finally uh, I finally got Apple TV and started watching this show. I'm like eight shows in. It's the greatest show ever. Yeah, five on Wednesday night, two last night. What an amazing show! But, anyways, um, I will say this: if you've just if you're new to the uh, Lasso universe, um, season two, which is I, most people have now finished, it's a little darker than season one, but season one really is, you know, it, it really is the palate cleanser for uh, our our day and age that that's why it's so popular is because it's so different than anything else on television oh yeah well i was reading in um yeah i was reading that one of the reasons people figure it connected is that during the pandemic and yeah. people struggling and isolated and feeling down this show is just this bolt of of light sweetness and light you know there's some dark stuff in it well and it gets but, darker 
but just but just the the character of the coach and the what he focuses is amazing. So yeah, well, and, um, and and you know yeah. the uh, the idea of uh, that that poster he puts above his door. The believe, the believe. I, I can't. You know what? I'm jealous. Like, I'm jealous because I've already, like most people, a lot of people listening, have already gone through season two. So you've got all of that still to come. Lots of good stuff. Anyway, getting back to this uh, wonderful human who had a nice breakthrough round, first time in history. Um, say that again. The first, the Guelph first Griffin. Uh, yeah, the first University of Guelph uh, female golfer to win the individual championship. That's so. amazing. It was great. So Good I, for her. You know, everyone's really proud of Jacqueline. And uh, so one of the things I think that was really cool for her, and I think this is a nice takeaway for uh, for our listeners, is that she became aware in the, the week leading up to the championship that she just carried a lot of kind of psychic and physical tension. She felt pressure to break through and, and to, you know, shoot low scores so so our women's team would do well. But she also realized that she was carrying a lot of tension in her body, I think, as a consequence. And just by becoming aware of that and 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 thus, you know, we've talked about many times awareness is curative. Oh, yeah. She started to be just a little bit more relaxed. And, wow, she was um, she's she was amazing. And uh, it was just really everyone's really proud and, and really happy for her. Well, congratulations to you and the team and. Coach Beard and Nate and all the kids <laughs> on the uh, squad. Yeah, and Brooke and Brooke, our trainer, Brooke, Brooke Benny, Brooke Bama Lamb, Bama Bam. Uh, also, so the other nice thing that happened, uh, and I want to get into this too. Uh, really, it was really interesting, and again, I think there's some an awesome takeaway for uh, for our listeners. But our our men finished uh, third, and so that means they advanced to the Canadian National Championship in May. And um, Justin Allen, our, our number one guy, continued his great play. He tied for second with a, a one under 71. So uh, I'm really proud of the guys, too. But it was really, really interesting. <laughs> so in, in men's golf, five guys play on your team and four scores count. And you put them out kind of in a, in a ranking, if you will. And so our fifth guy was Xavier Aurora. And uh, sorry, Zav, if I, we just say, call him Zav because <laughs> everyone butchers the pronunciation of his name. Anyways, um, there was real concern that the round would not get finished, that we just run out of daylight. And so the uh, Golf Association of Ontario was hired to do the rules, which included keeping these kids moving. And Zav was in, was in uh, a group that felt well behind the group ahead. So the Golf Association of Ontario official said, okay, you got to catch up to that group ahead of you or you're all getting a one-stroke penalty. And it took a while for everyone in the foursome to, to understand it. But, Howard, they started running. I, literally running. Now, they were in carts, which is weird yeah. for OUA, but they were in carts to, to sort of expedite play. But they were just running. They were back and forth. So no time for, for uh, extended uh, practice swings and all that thing. Just get up and hit the damn thing. And what was really, really cool was, I mean, they were just so jacked up and nervous. One of the kids on one of the tees goes, my heart's going 190 beats a minute. But 
what's really cool is they all played really well. So I'll, hang on a second. You sub mics. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, right. So the moral of the story is play faster, play better. Oh, yeah. Well, Zav was... was, he was they were shocked yeah. by how, how well they played. Zav part, it was... Um, it was at least four or five holes that they were they were under the gun like that. Wow. And Zav parred all five holes. You That's know, crazy. So moral of the story is, folks, is that you don't need to take all day. You don't need to be the pilot with the checklist <laughs> and being careful. Get up. There's the target. Hit the damn thing. Um, so what's going to happen several times during this podcast and... and and maybe in, in the post-production, it won't be as apparent, but you'll hear it, is uh, my mics are failing, and it's it's a thing we've been working on with the show. Oh. Anyway, don't worry about it. Um, that's great. Uh, is that the OAU roundup? Because I, I don't want to cut you off. I want to give you all no, the time. that was the championship. Oh, that was I, a championship. Just... Fantastic. So you, the boys... So the fin- season's over. Men finished third. Uh, uh, that woman, very nice person. Jacqueline finished first. Amazing. Individually. And uh, and every year you have the same, uh, I think you have the same question. Will you do it again? I'll ask you now. Will you do it again? Oh, 100% I will. Yeah. Because like, sometimes you have a little bit of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Well, thank you. You know, it's really interesting because at the beginning of this year, as the season got going and, oh my gosh, like all this concern around safety, you know, covid uh, all of these types of things, um, you know, sexual violence, uh, you know, suicide prevention. I mean, the university has really gone uh, to the nth degree to make sure that all the coaches are done all this training, that the assistant coaches have done training and that the players. And I was like, really? I mean, I'm I'm here to work with the kids and their golf stuff, not all this. But so it was really driving me crazy. But uh, got through that. But just man, I just love working with these kids, and I really shouldn't call them that. But I am about forty five years well, old. How are they not kids? They're like my, I've got a daughter in her, I know, in her I know. early twenties. Well, um, I should be calling them student athletes. But there you go. Um, no, they're just great young people. They. Um, they uh they're smart they're grounded you know they none of them have delusions of going to the show and they're amazing golf nerds i mean it's fantastic to hang around with you know 20 year old who wants to dive into the minutia of of the pj tour event from the previous week or talk about equipment and it's just it's wonderful and they're amazing to watch holy cow they just hit the ball. They just freewheel it, and it just goes for freaking forever. No, I, I well, well, listen, we've all got stories. I mean, I played the uh, club championship this year, the first two rounds with a 21-year-old who... Uh, with Wes Gill. Who is a university golfer, and, uh, you know, I got to see it up close. Um, I want to do... I want to segue from university... Uh, golf, if I can. But it, it starts with a conversation I had, and I won't say who it was with, but it was a recent conversation with a university coach. And um, we had this kind of, it was, it was a very brief but interesting to me that some people, and, and I wasn't surprised this person feels this way, but it reminded me that he does. But 
some people have this idea. Maybe a lot of people listening have this as well. The idea that you can't employ the techniques and things. I'm, I'm losing my words right now, but that, it, that, it, we, that you have to be a, a skilled player to employ mental, the stuff we talk about on the show. I, I, I could have said that a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And the conversation, and I, I really didn't dwell on it while we were talking, but I thought about it for the last couple of days because I wanted to bring it up with you. And I, and I wanted to have, because I think a lot of people, and again, I'm, I'm using myself as an example. They think, oh, it's easy for you. Uh, you know, you're a scratch golfer. So, of course, you know, you can use the mental side and blah, blah, blah. And, but I, and I thought, you know, yes, yeah, I, I have higher skills, say, than a 15 handicap. But what got my handicap lower is all to do with the mental side of the game. Yes, I got better slightly in the skill development department. But this is what I wanted to talk a little bit about today, which is the understanding that what we've discussed in the 180 shows we've done is specifically for you to get better without having to get way better with your skills. And I'll just take a quick pause and say, that doesn't mean you shouldn't continue to try and chip, putt, align better, and, and, and so forth. But as far as overhauling your swing as a pathway to par, which, of course, you know, as you know, my seminar pathway to par. <laughs> but in, in pathways to par, skill development is only one part of it. And, and as I think we've proven, and I've certainly proven to myself, like I'm the guinea pig here, but my handicap, and I'm, I'm going to get to this in a minute. I just want to start with this as a subject, and then I'm, I'm going to use some statistics to, to prove my point. Mm-hmm. But, but I think, you know, the reason that you do what you do and the reason that I have, you know, become a better golf player is entirely to do with employing the mental side of the game. And again, this discussion I had the other day with the university coach wasn't a, a long one and it wasn't a contentious one. But whenever he brings that up, I sort of go, eh. I, I know, of course, if you teach golf, you want people to think that in order to get better at golf, you have to have your backswing in a certain position. And again, that's not to take away from the fact that if your backswing is in a horrible position, you're never going to get any better. Mm-hmm. But I'd like us to discuss a little bit and remind the listener that these things we talk about with the experts we talk about with are specifically designed to get you better at golf to get you well not just better but to enjoy the game while getting better at golf um comments concerns coach that's well that discussion i've had you know many times of course someone said well if someone's you know what you know almost wiping out their right ankle on the backswing how are how are they gonna make contact or they they got the club you know, dead closed or whatever. How are they going to hit the ball? You know, you can be a Zen monk and you, you're still not going to be able to hit it. Right. So what I think really what we've been talking about on this show for a number of years often gets misconstrued. When people think of the mental side of the game, they think sometimes of, of, of like tips, you know, in the same way that people think of tips in the physical game, you know, that you have to do this thing and this thing and this technique and method. And I don't really think that that's at all what we have been talking about maybe in the early days I know that certainly my approach to the game is is shifted over over the years and I think really what 
we've been talking about and maybe not with as much clarity as perhaps is required is around learning from your own experience and having the awareness of what's going on. So when people think of the mental game, they're thinking about thinking. And so the the problem I have with kind of the standard approach to instruction is you're asking people to think about, say, hitting a certain position or moving a body part in a certain way. And that's thinking, which comes from the ego. So thinking creates more thinking. So if the thing you're thinking about isn't working, you're going to think more about it and just put basically handcuffs on yourself. Yeah. And that to me is where the breakdown happens. However, if you're more aware of your own experience, and what I mean by that is actually truly paying attention, let's say in a chip shot, Let's say you're just hitting chips and you're not trying to do anything. You're not trying to accelerate, keep your head down, but you're just paying attention to what goes on. And then you start to make some solid contact. You go, oh, what did that feel like? Oh, I know what happened there. Now you're dealing with something that's actually happening and you can learn from your own experience. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to derail you here. And I, I agree mostly with what you're saying. And and you know, okay, I should, I I agree with everything you're saying, but let's just take let's just take the example. Oh, there's of something it. there. That, there's something here. That's I not agree with for some. You. Well, here's what doesn't land for me. Um, you can, and this is a little off topic, but let's just take the example you used. You know, if I go to the practice screen and I'm practicing my chipping and I'm just practicing with uh, out an agenda and and uh, I want to just feel some awareness, and that's a great exercise. But before you, if you have no idea how to chip, this show isn't going to help you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying like this isn't for somebody just starting. Yeah, these are some interesting discussion points. But I'm going to assume from now on that most people listening have some idea how to chip a golf ball. I think that's a correct assumption. Okay, so, and I, and, I, and again, if you don't, then go find out, go get a lesson from somebody to show you how. But if for the most part, let's assume the average person listening is the average golfer, and that's about a, for men, the average handicap is 14. So let's assume a 14 handicap is listening. Nothing would, when I say I mostly agree with what Tim said, yeah, that's great, you know, put your phones on, get into a nice mood, and, and just, you know, have a session where you just feel what your body is doing. What I'm talking about is, you know, mental, the mental side of the game, having a a chip shot to get up and down to make the cut or to, you know, score, uh, make a good score or whatever, whatever the story in your world is to beat your buddy for two bucks. When you've got that chip shot, that's what interests me. Okay, so are you you talking about the difference between trying to say hit it close and knowing the difference when you need to just hit it to the middle of the green? I'm No, what, what I'm talking about is is our show, you know, we have you who is, um, and, and again, I'm grateful for your presence. I told you before the show, I wouldn't do this show if it wasn't for you. Maybe I told you on the show. So I've got no problem with what you said. But I'm t- what, I, what interests me and what I think I've, where I've grown the most is I know now the, the mental 
part of the game that I employ when I have that chip shot, when it matters, or on, a, on an average day, what I've learned from this show and from the people that we work with is I've learned how to calm myself in that right. moment to hit that shot mm-hmm. because I've got, I have the right strategy. I've got the right expectation. I've got the right mindset that will help me get the best out of that shot that I can. Taking nothing away, by the way, from what you said in terms of an exercise. But uh, so are we? Are we? I get it. But we, I, to we, me, it's a both and. Uh, absolutely, so, it is. That's why so I, say I, I mostly agree. The, yeah. So where I go with this is that the average golfer tends to look for salvation in mechanics, uh, and I I totally agree. So I played, you know, it's like I played with uh, a fellow, um, yeah, a client of mine a couple of days ago, and my gosh, I mean, he's just struggling so bad. He's topping the ball really badly, hitting it like left of left, and just horrible. And I know the guy can play, and so. I went, let's go to the range after and let's just see what's going on here. So he starts to tell me that he's working on, he's been working on his hip turn. And I went, no, <laughs> you know, he's no. just like the whole round. He's <laughs> yeah. trying to do this hip turn thing. Yeah. And he's so tense and he's so fixated on that, that he's just making a spasmodic lurch at the ball. <laughs> and, and by the way, I, that type of thing, I totally Oh, and, and again, if you listen back to the show today, we're off the topic of where we started, but that's fine. Uh, no, but it is to, to me. Here's the both and. So, so, so there's that that mechanics fixation. Yes, and and the thing that generally I find is that the average golfer that's where they think it all is. Their game's not right. It's their ball hitting. I'm not right position. I'm not yes. doing this. Not doing that. And I generally find that most people handcuff themselves because. They're thinking about what they're trying to do, and the body doesn't work like that. Yeah. And, and, and both of us agree with that because we've talked about it for 180 shows. If, if you, and, and, and no one was more guilty of that than me. No one was more. I mean, the irony of our show calling it Swing Thoughts is because exactly. nobody stood over the ball with more swing thoughts than I did. And I thought and me I, too. Okay, so we're tied. But I thought I could swing <laughs> thought myself. I th- I thought I could swing thought myself to scratch. Totally. And I did swing thought myself because of my obsessive nature. You know, I I mean, listen, I know that you're as obsessive as I am, but I don't know anyone that hit more golf balls in their life than me. I mean, you know, you you were close to Mo, so maybe he did. But I can tell you, (laughs) um, and this is what I wanted to get to this season, because over the course of our six years together, you know, when I started this, I was a two or a three handicap. You know, it was gusting to, I, I would have the odd low, low round, but mostly I struggled under pressure, with with having consistent and I hate that word having yep. predictable golf scores but let's get back to the guy that you talked about who's thinking about his left hip during the round uh, one of my favorite things one of the things that I said that I thought wow that will apply to all golfers is this summer when I said thinking of your golf swing while playing is like playing blackjack and and wondering how your hands are touching holding the cards Oh, exactly. Because if you're playing, listen, that's all good and well when you're practicing your shuffle. But when you're playing the game, 
If you're not playing the game, then you're not golfing. You're just doing this. And I, I can tell you, I've played, I've been that guy and I've played with that guy where you're like, geez, that guy's pretty good, but he's shanking everything or he's pole hooking everything. And, and he's having miserable scores because when you're fixated, again, back to pathways to par, there's skill, strategy, and scoring. The problem with us all, and I was, I was as guilty of this as anyone, and still do one from time to time. When you get too fixated on your skill, you miss the scoring and the strategy part completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Timmy, you know me. I've got a room in my house dedicated to the mechanics of golf. I just learned... The lab to golf. (laughs) (laughs) Or as Rachel calls it, the nursery, the golf nursery. But I have learned through our mental discussions and strategy how to put that aside in a round of golf. That doesn't mean I'm not. Listen, if you saw me this week, because October is when I start to work on my swing again, I was doing this rehearsal and you'll see it tomorrow before every shot. It, and, and it's not what I do during the golf season, but I was doing it now because it's a mechanical thing I'm thinking of. You know, now's the time to do it. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And there is, there's, there's obviously a place and a time to, to, to work on things. And, and you have to, have to pay attention to, to what's actually going on. But yeah, yes. it's completely different between obviously playing golf and playing golf swing. But just to connect some dots that I think that you were getting to and I didn't quite deliver on is there's definitely is a mental side of the game where you're using your cognitive abilities to, to figure things out. And so much where I've really seen um, you ascend excel and it's had a had an ancillary effect on me is is in just awareness around making good decisions what am i going to do what am i committed to and i really think that makes such such a difference when you when you pick out a target that allows you to swing you know aggressively to it and you know that even if you you know say you know pull the shit out of it you're still going to be in the fairway that that results in better scores, and that comes from making good decisions about what you're going to do. And you know, even like the chip shot we talked about, yep. there's times in which, yeah, I could maybe sink this, and there's times you make a decision that you know, I just need to get this on the green so I don't, as you say, two chip. Well, again, let me just change microphones. In trouble. Okay, I was just looking up a couple of stats. So this whole, anyway, what, why I started with the university coach I was talking to, who, who basically was saying to me, and he has said this other ways before, that all this, you know, mental stuff is great, but not until you learn how to swing a club. And I would agree to a point. That's why I said, for, I, I personally just believe that the average person listening, uh, the average male or female is somewhere in the 14 to 18 handicap. Yeah, we've got some lower handicap guys. I was just looking up a couple of emails and texts that I got over the last couple of weeks from a couple of our listeners. Very, very nice. Uh, you know, it's nice to know that some of the nonsense we spew here uh, has a, has an impact. But we, we've, you know, I remember uh, a show a few years ago when I was struggling so hard. We called it Golf Hell, and I was Zokal was on, and I was just, and I look back and I think. You know, I don't think I hit the ball much better now. Maybe I hit the ball 
fifteen percent better than I was. I did fifty five years ago. May, you know, I certainly hit my driver better than I used to. But I've the the, the biggest growth in my golf game, and I, and I don't know why I'm so emphatic about this, is that I, I I I I think if you're a twelve handicap, you could be a seven, just by listening to what Tim's talking about, being more aware of your body, the things we've said about breathing, but also if you learn that there's another game being played. You know, we, we said this, we had this hubris six years ago, Tim and I saying, we can lower your handicap without changing your swing. But I guarantee it that if I cat, I guarantee if I caddied for you, I don't care who you are, yep. I could I could caddy you to a lower round than you shot the day before. And simply because, and I've said this a thousand times in different ways, I would never let you hit a shot that I didn't think you could pull off. Back to the mm-hmm. chip shot. Exactly. I would say... Most of the guys I play with in the 6 to 12 handicap range, two chip once around, make ridiculous three putts. I played with this guy the other day, really nice guy. Him, I played with a 73-year-old and a 78-year-old and a 45-year-old. And the 45-year-old could absolutely pump it out there. But he made, he made so many bogeys trying to make birdies from, a, from 35 feet. I finally said to him, Andrew, I said, listen, man. Stop trying to sink 35-foot putts. Exactly. I said, because that five is worse than the four you would have made if you had just cozied it up. And he did that four times in a round. So whatever he shot that day, 83, it was 79, just not three-putting. And I'm not talking about three-putting from 60 feet, because you're going to. Anyway, I know I've rambled on here. No, this is really good stuff. And and to me, so much of it is around, you know, I I say it ad infinitum, awareness. So if you're not aware that, you know, as a right-handed golfer, your aim to right field, you know, to that foul pole, you had no chance. So it's using your awareness of what's what's actually happening. But I think that where... um, So much around... So, okay, we, we call it the mental side of the game, sure... Is is you know what's your connection to the game and what are you getting out of it? Uh, I've got a client whose index has dropped in the last month. I'm not kidding. In the last month, from about a 22 to 23 to a 16. And wow! And he's won sort of like every round. It's a, it's a, every round is competition. He's won something like 32 rounds in a row. And he says so much of it is around he's just kind of changed his relationship with the game. It's like his his he goes out with the intention that he's gonna enjoy himself and he's enjoy the people he plays with, and if he hits a bad shot, it doesn't mean he's a miserable piece of shit. And that he's just gonna he's gonna collect himself and just try his best. But you know, he's aware um, you know, of making good decisions. He's not hitting hybrids, you know, trying to hit them two, 220 over water and that kind of stuff. But so much of his his um, game has changed just from not identifying as much with the game. You know, if I shoot, you know, 97, I'm a piece of crap person and golfer. And if I shoot 85, it's always, he's always good no matter what he does. Yeah. So, it, it's things like that are all within this big uh, basket, if you will, of of I guess what people call the mental game, and, well, I, and I, I'm I'm uncomfortable with that mental performance 
label thing because to me it just it's about it generally gets people thinking about thinking and, yeah. and to me that's well basically what i'm trying to say is uh, at the beginning from this whole this conversation i had was you don't have to wait or don't wait until you think you're good enough to avail yourself of the 100 different things we've told you or talked about or had discussions with or interviewed people about. I would start to make, I'll tell you, you want to talk about uh, a guy that lowered his handicap. My brother David was about a 16.5 index and, you know, is now down to 12. Sweet. You know, he, uh, I played, uh, we went out uh, a few weeks ago when he was here. Played Blue Springs. I don't know what he shot that day, but he hand, it's a very difficult golf course. He handled it nicely, you know, and, and he sort of, he's got, the if, if I could say nothing, but get your head around the idea that golf should be called score preservation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when Tim talks about your ego and, and your friend there that went from 22 to 16, it's so easy. All you have to do is get your head around the fact that, that your golf swing isn't the only thing that will lead you to where you want to go. I tried. Believe me, folks. I tried my, my guts out. And, you know, I, I want to spend a couple minutes, if I can, you know, talking about my index dropped this year almost two points. That is a lot. Like 1.9. And I would like to announce, as of two days ago, I shot... Uh, I shot my 11th under par round of the year and my index dropped my index dropped to 0.0. Now and people, I'm just going to interrupt you here because that's the hardest thing to do. You're going from a 12 to a 10, cool. From a 10 to a 7, really cool. <laughs> yeah. is, but it gets harder and harder and harder. Yeah. So what you've done is really difficult so kudos to you big well, guy. thank you and, and i and i find it funny that i'm laughing because you know it took me until 61 but you've got to have no responsibilities to in order to like when i had kids and a real job but i can tell you i used to do this joke with golfers i'd say okay just what you just said i go you know 12 to 8 no big deal eight to five you can absolutely do it in a year i say five to three is also achievable in a couple years but i said three to zero quit your job because there's no other way to do it. The, the point I'm trying to make is I, I tried to golf swing my way into being That's a right. scratch golfer. And I can tell you that just like your friend, my, sh- you know, yes, I, I've learned to calm down seven irons in the forest aside. Yes, learning to breathe and be aware and not beat myself up and all the things that I used to get in my own way with, I have definitely... You know, we've been on this journey together for five or six years, but I've been on that journey since 1995 when I read Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And two years later, I won the club championship. But I was not nearly the golfer at 37 that I am now. And the, the reason I say that is because the guy I was at 37 could shoot even par, but I would shoot 85 the next day. I, I couldn't tell you what golfer was going to show up. The thing is, I can still shoot 85. But I leave the golf course smiling, knowing that it's it's an outlier in my golf world. Whereas before, I would I would be you know despondent. Yeah, despondent. Yeah. You know, I shot eighty eight at the uh, early bird three weeks ago, and I just thought it was hilarious. I mean, I was sleepy when it was over. <laughs> I was so tired. Yeah, but you know, all that way. But, but I didn't. Uh, it didn't affect me like it might have. In years past, 
because I know now I'm a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, it's like, I, I think of it more and more like being a chess master. I've learned how to play, I've learned how to move the pieces around the board better. I don't, but I don't. You've got a different, I'm, I'm interrupting again, but it's also, I think, similar to my client. You've got a different relationship with the game. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't throw you down and pummel you like it used to. And that comes from you having a different relationship with the game and understanding, you know, kind of like the vagaries of the yep. game, if you will. Absolutely. I love that word. I've used it before. And, and it's, you're, you're absolutely right because, you know, I, when I had this round on, uh, what day is it? Thursday. I, is it Friday? Oh, Wednesday. Friday. So I, it was on Wednesday. You know, I got, I got to two under par after 10 holes. So I had, I made no bogeys on the front nine, one birdie. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, it, you know, I, I've shot under par not having my best stuff. But for some reason in the 15th or whatever it was of October, 17th, 18th, my best stuff showed up. I hit every fairway except wow. one. I hit 13 fairways. I hit every green on the, on the course except two. Wow. So I didn't make a bogey until the 14th hole. When I said to myself, oh, I haven't made a bogey. <laughs> that fucking thing aside, literally said that as I was at par three and I had about, I hit the wrong club, but I flushed it. And I was 50 feet past the flag. And as I was walking into the ball, I was like, oh, no, I haven't made a bogey yet. <laughs> anyway, that doesn't matter. So I, anyway, on DSL that day, is human. I know, absolutely. So I'm two under through 10 and I know I'm going to shoot under par. I just no part of me. I didn't think of the score other than that moment. I was just kind of had this vague idea that, you know, I could tell by the way I was hitting and I wasn't just hitting the fairway time. I hit the middle of every fairway. It was gross. And I hit a lot of good shots. I didn't hit very many bad shots. I bogeyed the 17th hole. I lipped out. I just lipped this putt. Like, not a hard lip out, just a soft, like a hmm. one of those little ones that hurts in your soul. Because <laughs> it was going in and it just dribbled out. I bogeyed yeah, that yeah, hole. Yeah. I birdied the last hole and I shoot 70. Lovely. And, and when it was over, I inputted my score and, and my handicap dropped to that number. Now, I, I, inputted, I inputted another score after it, and it went back up to 0.2. But it's, it was the fact that for, a, for a, a second or two, my handicap was 0.0, which actually, it turns out, is better than scratch. I, didn't, I forgot all about that part because numerically, it's a plus one. Yeah. The point is... What I've learned over the course of this last year, especially this last year, but also since 17 when you and I took the seminar together, what I've learned is in combination with what we talk about, breathing, awareness, you know, calming yourself down, not taking it too seriously, enjoying the day, looking at the sky, being a good partner, all the things that we've passed on and that you and I have learned. The, the biggest jump in my handicap dropping and my golf development has been learning all the stuff that we've talked about this summer learning that strategy is is as important if not more important than skill because both of us and i've said this about your golf swing both of us have high level ability to hit it to move a golf ball around the course no problem even you um you know you lose a lot of strokes around that are unnecessary and the difference between our handicaps is that I have learned to conserve more of those shots. I agree with you. 
You you know you and I play it. We're going to play tomorrow. I don't. We're our, we're not way different in how we hit a golf ball. A little bit, but not way different. Not five shots different. It's just the well, maybe. But you're making a face. My point is. <laughs> my point is. You like a lot of us, and like I used to. We just we we let shots go, and we let those shots affect us. For sure, they affected me, and they even affect you sometimes. Yeah, well, what I what I know that happens to me, and I think our listeners can relate to this, is that I will default to old behaviors. Absolutely, I'll get triggered. You know, I'll I'll make a double or something like that, and and then I'll be thrust into my head uh, because that's you know over the second seven decades I've been on on this earth, that's what I've historically done. So I default to old stuff about thinking about something. And then it goes sideways. Whereas I think what's really cool when you talk about learning more about strategy, you can only devise a strategy if you're aware, if you're outside of yourself. And what I mean by that is that you're aware of your environment. And, you know, what's the puzzle, as our friend Ed Collins says, what's the puzzle to be solved? And if you're not out there considering what's going on, oh, I got a tree here, I got a bunker here, I got death left, you know, what's what's the shot here? What's the puzzle to be solved? Then you can come up with a strategy Absolutely. that works in that. But, but if you're thinking about... Your swing... But let me just jump yeah, in. If you're if thinking you, about your right elbow no, coming down in front of your right more hip... More than that, if you think the puzzle to be solved is your swing, right. you're missing the point. Exactly. And so, just to finish the thought, and I connected into the earlier one... People talk about target awareness and focus, and, and like you know, it's like Rotella would talk about, and I think he overplayed it big time. You know, the, aiming at that leaf back, you know, behind the green. I, I think, in a general sense, when we talk about the target and the strategy, and the it means, you know, our body, what we're taking in is that, you know, the intention is I'm going to move this ball out there towards this thing here, and the body can figure that out. But if you are thinking, again, about right elbow into front of right hip or turning my left hip, you really don't have a chance because your body's not responding to what's out there. Right. Because your awareness. Because your awareness is narrowed. Right. Too much. You know, they talk about, uh, I'm sure we brought it up, you know, wide, narrow, wide focus, narrow focus. So wide focus is your you know, walking up the fairway, you're talking to your buddies, narrow focus is when you get to do the shot. But it's also during the act of performing the golf shot. You know, it, it, I don't want people to think that I don't have a swing thought or a, uh, a mechanical thing <clears throat> that I work on. You know, I, and you and any mental performance coach would tell you, you can have one, you just can't make that I just don't make that the subject of when I'm swinging the club. I'm an awareness mode of like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I, my awareness is usually very basic. Where's the ball? Where am I aimed? How am I set up? Do I feel comfortable? PGA, and then I, posture, grip, alignment. Exactly. And, and I can't, you know, we've talked about this. You can't stress that enough. You mentioned it earlier in the conversation. Very few players I play with, with handicaps are aimed correctly. And it's the low-hanging fruit that everyone finds boring. And the reason they don't like it when somebody aligns them correctly, because it looks so weird. And it feels weird. It feels weird. You know, it's uncomfortable. 
And I would say if you did nothing for the next four months except look in a mirror and make sure you're lined up correctly, mechanically you'll be so much better. 100%. But back to our friend, the guy practicing his chipping. You know, I missed the 17th green on Wednesday in the right spot, in the correct spot. It was a right, it was a front right pin. And as Fawcett will tell you, when we finally get him on, PGA Tour players and amateurs all suck to front pins. In fact, to a, on the PGA Tour, um, the highest level players on the planet hit 24% more middle and back greens than they do front pins. For the same reason we all suck at them. Because we are taking the yardage, 165, and playing that yardage. And invariably, right. we don't hit it, 165. We're short. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, front pins. And off, off and to off, the one side. Right. So I, I was... So I knew, I knowing that, I took an extra club, and I hit it nicely. I tugged it slightly, but I was pin high left, which gave me all the room in the world for this chip shot. Yeah. I hit it up there. The, the greens had been aerated. It just didn't quite roll out, and I had like a seven-foot putt. No big deal. No big deal. My point, though, is knowing strategically that the... It's not just you don't want to short side yourself. It's really making an effort to to turn over to the left, aim there. If you push it, you're on the green. If you pull it, you're pin high left. But that's exactly. a strategic. That's a strategic thing I've learned, and I put into practice on every shot I hit. Yeah, and and that's so different again than than than, than thinking about you know what you're doing with your hands or your feet or something. And that to me is like when we come back to the to the university coach you were talking about, I totally get that. You know, like I said before, if you're not swinging it somewhat, if you're not swinging it fundamentally sound, you you, you don't have much of a chance. But I really think that where people handcuff themselves is they think it's all about what their body is doing, but it's if that's not in relation to the target and an objective, you're not you're you're just not going to hit a lot of quality shots. Absolutely. Now people will argue that they've gone through a round of golf thinking, you know, about, you know, making <clears throat> some kind of move like initiate you know, downswing with lateral movement of <laughs> That's right. left I knee, have. et cetera, et cetera. Dude, I, the reason I threw so many clubs is because I would be like for three days working on getting my left hip out of the way, hitting into a solid left side. Then I go to the first hole and not do it and get so mad. Exactly. I get so mad at myself. I'm like, you know, and I, and listen, we all hear people say this. Oh, you suck. Why can't you? You're so, you know, the things I used to say to myself because I just couldn't get it. But right. the problem was I wasn't looking in the right place. Right. So my point is, is that it, the, the, let's talk about that hitting into, the, you know, the firm left side thing. I, I, <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> that was from my dad's era. Oh, I know. I know all that stuff. But it, it continues today. All these people think of these these maxims that they need to do. Well, if you are, say, you're. You're trying to hit a ball to towards a bunker on the um, the right side of the fairway, and you're right-hander. Well, if you're if you have an awareness that I'm going to aim there, I'm pretty damn sure that if that your body will move forward and you'll move into that left side, <laughs> yeah, not obviously. because you're thinking about doing it, because. Yeah. 
your intention is to move there in the same way if you're playing football in the backyard with your kid you're going to go back you're going to your weight's going to go on again a right-hander it's going to go on your trail foot and you're going to come forward and it's going to move and you'll move into your left side it's just a more natural instinctive way to play i, I to me it's so much of it, it's it's allowing yourself to play on on instinct but again, if we come back to that chipping thing, is that yeah, you need to know some fun, some some core fundamentals for yep. sure. But you'll learn more by paying attention to what happened there. Of like, you hit a shot, and like, what did that feel? Oh, I could feel my right wrist hinging there. Holy shit, that's kind of cool. Well, listen, coach, <laughs> let me leave you with. Um a little uh, wisdom from uh, our friend Lou Stagner, who, by the way, if I can't get Fawcett on next week, I might ask Lou. I, I just think it'd be fun. The reason I want Fawcett on is because I've talked so much about Decade this summer. And um, and by the way, I've had lots of people at my golf course and some Swing Thought people reach out to me and ask about Decade. And I always say the same thing. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I, again... I can trace back to that seminar my improvement in not only handicap, but my ability to play tournament golf a bit better. And, and yeah, sure, it's great that I know how to breathe and I have a pre-shot routine and all the things we talk about. But I want to leave you with this stat because this is, this is exactly what I've been saying all year. I will tell you, pre- let me just preface it by saying, when I started working with Henrik, who is a genius, he told me, you know, you got to make six birdies around, five birdies around, because that's the conventional wisdom of a tour player. We think that these guys are all making five and six birdies around, which they are on occasion. But here's a great stat from the stats man, Lou Stagner. Since 2011 on the PGA Tour, less than two, two or less birdies were made. So two or less birdies were made in 30% of the rounds played. He says, think about that. Nearly one in three rounds by the best players in the world have two birdies or less. You don't need more birdies. You need less bogeys, doubles, and others. Let me repeat this, folks. Yep. You don't need to do anything different than you're doing now to lower your handicap except for the following. Make less three putts, less penalty shots, less two chips. That's really it. And you can... 100%. And the thing is, all you have to do is commit to that. So if you're... If you've got water left and you're not comfortable on a par four because you're pull hooking the ball, here here comes Tim O'Connor awareness. If you know on the 13th hole, man, I've just not been driving it well but I want to make the best score I can in this hole, then shut up, hit five iron or three wood or hybrid, aim way right so that at least you're in play, make a bogey and move on. Because all the big numbers that listeners of this podcast make, and I said this earlier in the summer, on the way to, if there's a point on the way to every triple that you know there's an yep. opportunity to make a lower score. And, and yeah, forget what I just said about tour players. For the average amateur, if you could just make a few less triples and doubles, just that alone, 
your left hip will take care of itself. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. And if your left hip isn't working optimally, it just won't have as big a, as an impact. But, yeah. you know, to kind of like bookend our show here today, to go back to the, the OUA, one of the things we talked about with the golf team all year was the, the things that are going to make the biggest difference in your ability to score well and thus place well as a team will be not focusing on your ball hitting. It's going to be on your awareness of, okay, in making a decision, where am I at? Am I hot? Am I pissed off? Am I, you know, am I, do I feel really frustrated? Well, you're not going to make a good decision from a place like that. The second point is, is there just around make good decisions. And we really focused on not making others. And I have a strong sense that that played a good, uh, a key role because you see it all the time. And, you know, these university golfers, you've got, you've got these kids, these, these guys, and there's a lot of women too, who, you know, they're like, they're, they're close to scratch players. Some are plus, but in these university tournaments, they're shooting like 82s and stuff. And that's from just, and to me, that's mainly from bad decisions. And not being able to be in a place of, you know, being able to be aware, oh, shit, I'm angry as hell. Yeah. Where I need to be, just lower the temperature. And so I, I really think that that uh, fact, and quite honestly, GSL, a lot of the stuff that you talked about through the season definitely had an influence on my own game, but also my approach with my team around being more strategic. Well, and making good decisions. I, I look so forward. Thank you. I, well, you're welcome, sir. And I look, you know, anytime a, a guy, and well, listen, if you're a turn, not that you're, if you're a scratch golfer and you shoot 82, it's not your golf swing. And I, and I will tell you on the, on the few days this year, St. Thomas aside, cause I was bananas on the few days this year where I did, you know, have say a, a higher than normal, an outlier of a round, doesn't matter what the score is, but on those days, I at least had the equanimity of knowing, and I said this to somebody, and I was playing with one of the pros at my course this summer, and, you know, it was a fourth day in a row of playing a lot. I, you know, I, I was, I think the week I shot 60, I was in the 60s on Saturday, then I shot like 81 on Wednesday at men's night, and I was playing with one of the pros, and I, and I was exhausted, and I said that to him. I said, you know, the hardest thing to do in golf is to keep trying when you know you don't have it. Right. And the reason it's hard to do, and, and even for me, because I listen, I would much rather shoot under par. But on the way to that 81 that day, and I remember this, I remember, you know, making a putt on the last hole to save par to shoot 81 because I, I just was trying to conserve whatever score I could that day, knowing because I've been a super powder, knowing that uh-huh. if I didn't keep trying, no one was going to give a shit except me on the way home. You know, the 84 that I shot instead of the 81, those three shots were just me being a dick and to myself and just right. pouting those shots away, letting them go. Listen, man, our last men's night was me and Gortner, you know, and uh, a couple other really good players. And Gortner double bogeys the last hole for 75. I parred the last hole for 77. We both played sort of shitty all day. But, man, I kept, you know, he kept trying and I kept trying. Because, you know what? Paul Gortner might shoot 75 once in a summer. But you know what? It just, you know, it, you can't give up. Because at the end of it all, you want to, you know, whatever that score is, you want it to be the lowest in your heart that you know you could have gotten. 
um, a lot of the scores that our listeners turn in, some of those numbers are just giving up and being pissy about it. Yeah, exactly. And again, that connects, you know, we've had a, such a cool discussion today about, you know, all the different things that kind of would fall into, I guess, what people would call the mental game. And it, and it would be one of those things is, is your approach and your, in essence, your relationship with yourself. I mean, are you going to give up on yourself? Are you going to beat yourself up? Um, you know, are you going to be like the raging dad at, at, at <laughs> the little kid? Yeah. None of that helps. But if you can just kind of go like, okay, can I, can I remain focused here? What do I need to do here? What I, you know, if, if I find myself like I'm really tired, you know, what can I do to just get myself through this round? And as opposed to, damn it, I didn't deliver the result I'm supposed to because identify, you know, because I'm this great player or something, you know, that's the whole ego bullshit. Absolutely. My favorite thing is when I'm playing with somebody and, 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 or myself, when I make an eight foot putt to save bogey, or I see somebody do it, I give them a huge compliment. Like I'll say like, Hey, way to stay. These are the two things I'll say. Hey, great grind or more, more likely I'll say way to stay with it. And they know what I mean. It's easy to let it go. And here's what I learned, too, from this show. If you don't try when it doesn't matter, then you're not then you're not going to know how to try when it does matter. And and you mean casual golf or casual? Yeah. Yeah. Like because not that I'm not that you can't have a fun round like we're going to have tomorrow. And who cares what either of us shoots? But I promise you that I I still try my best. Uh, I don't. I won't give up, and if whatever the number is produced is immaterial to me, but but like I said, my favorite thing about shooting eighty eight at St. Thomas is I parred the last two fucking holes, and 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 they're ridiculous. <laughs> like the last yes, hole, are. last hole is four sixty uphill on the second shot, and I parred it. And I didn't even think about it until later. I'm like, man, that was cool. You know, I had to park the last two holes to shoot that number because I was still trying, even though eighty eight. You know, it was 88 for me. It's a, it's a, it's way outside of my, exactly. my average again, score. But, but again, it, you know, you shot a 66 this year, a 68, and you know, you shot an 88. Really, when you drove home, I've talked about this a lot. Is like, was your life any different, really, between shooting a 66 and an 88? For sure, you're going to feel pretty darn good. Having a 66, you know, there's no taking away that we can celebrate and feel good when we do some things. But does the world materially alter? No. And it's more about the, the again, the, um, you know, relationship, the relationship to yourself, the relationship to the game, the relationships you have with other people. Those are the things that really count. And again, just coming back, that's why team golf is so fucking amazing. These kids just they're playing for their for their brothers or almost their, their sisters and that's the part that matters so much to them. And again, come back to to that relationship with the game and your friends and all that kind of good stuff. Well, I've really enjoyed it today. Sorry about the microphone, but uh, Humble and Fred are working on it. It's been uh it's been weeks of troubleshooting and, and if you're a Hundy P listening to the golf part, you know that I I've stopped freaking out. I, I literally threw a club microphone wise about two weeks ago it was really funny because some of my golf buddies were watching the show that day because we're live on facebook and one of my friends yeah. said i could just see you it was like you throwing that fucking seminar and i went oh yeah I, I i was so mad at these microphones 
Uh, anyway, uh, thanks to uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Humble and Fred Radio. HumbleandFred.com is actually our website now. I keep forgetting we fired radio. Uh, we'll be back maybe next week. If we can get Fawcett, we will. If not, a couple weeks from now. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person uh, tomorrow morning. And listen, man, I'm showing up. Ronan. Yeah, I'm showing up no matter what. And if we get, uh, we'll go for breakfast or something that guys do, you know, like yeah. the old men that we are. <laughs> Let's go have some toast. All right, coach. Uh, we'll see you next week.